Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. And we're back. You're listening to McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show on 95.9 WATD. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. Been talking about mortgages this morning and home purchasing and refinancing and uh, renovating and things like that with Jeremy Devaney of Fairway Independent Mortgage. Thank you for being here. So much fun. Thank you for having me. If I run out of time at the end, let's just give out your contact information one more time. Sure. Uh, DevaneyMortgage.com, D-E-V-A-N-E-Y Mortgage.com. Or you can get me at jeremy.devaney at fairwaymc.com, 781-680-5626. You said that really fast, so give out your phone number one more time. 781-680-5626. Perfect. Um, all right. We have about 20 more minutes. I wanted to chat with you about down payment amounts, maybe largely for first-time home buyers, but I think we could actually have the same conversation for... Um, people making moves as well, because sure. sometimes it's not always as black and white as I just take my proceeds and I put it down yeah. on the next property. Yeah. Um, so, and you and I chatted off air about how, I, I think I, when I work with people on the younger side, so 20 and 30 somethings, mm -hmm. and let's say they're not yet homeowners, mm -hmm. obviously one of their primary goals for most of them is I want to buy a piece of property one day. Maybe they enjoy where they're renting. Maybe they are planning a move across country or something so they haven't purchased yet. But generally speaking, most people of that age group that haven't yet purchased want to purchase at some point. They right. sort of know that it's the financially 
maybe I won't use responsible, but financially it likely works out better long-term uh, to adulting. own property. It's like adulting. <laughs> um, so we have like our long-term retirement goal, which for 20 and 30 somethings is a little bit foreign, but the shorter term goal is saving for a home. So I admitted that sometimes I struggle with what to recommend as far as like the ideal down payment. And it, it changes for everyone. Sure. Um, and I said earlier in the show that for for younger people, I sort of think that the the that don't put as much down that it's okay to put less down mm-hmm. because time is your friend and and you'll have time to pay it off. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's important for people in that age group most of the time to free up cash flow. As people get older, that then that guidance likely changes, and that as you know, maybe you're as you're in your 40s and 50s and maybe you're putting as, as much down as you can afford right. to put down, assuming other aspects of your life are lining up the way they should in terms of retirement savings and things like that. But there's, I guess what I'm saying is I don't have like generic guidance regarding what's an ideal home down payment. Yeah. Maybe, and, and again, there's never a blanket recommendation that's suitable for everyone and that it's obviously tailored to everyone, but I was looking for your guidance regarding I know that down payment amounts are different based on the different products that people can yep. use. Um, but beyond that, what is your general guidance regarding down payment amounts? Sure. So if you're capable of it and you have the cash, we, we usually recommend 20% down. Okay. Simply as a factor of that gets you to a break point in mortgage underwriting where you don't have to pay something called private PMI, mortgage insurance, sure. PMI. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in FHA lingo, it's MIP, mortgage insurance premium. Um, but the important part is that's an insurance product that mortgage banks require a, lend- a borrower to carry and pay for that protects the bank against the borrower's possible default. So if you're putting down less than 20%, the data says that you're more likely to default on that mortgage. And in order to offset that risk, banks require you to carry this mor- this insurance product. Yeah, um, That's really a cost to the borrower. That's unnecessary once you hit the 20% down payment threshold. Yeah, And in my opinion, where you're not creating wealth necessarily by paying for that insurance product. It's not like a uh, whole life policy where it accumulates value and you get some sort of gain from it. It's just paying for that temporary coverage. Um, I really like to see people driving that cash towards principal and, and kind of growing their, their net yeah. worth. Yeah. So if we can get you out of it, let, let's get you out of PMI. Um, there's ways to pay for PMI differently. So don't if somebody's telling you you're not going to have to pay PMI and you can put down less than 20%, nothing in life is free, folks. That's a snake oil salesman. That just means their, their interest rate is higher? Their interest rate's a little bit higher and the bank's paying for it on the backside. Mm. So it's either... That's a marketing tool. It's it's lump sum mortgage insurance. If, if we have a borrower accept a slightly higher interest rate, we can generate enough premium on that mortgage. So the, the when we sell it, later on down the road, we get paid a little bit more for that higher interest rate on it. And we can use that lump sum to then pay your mortgage insurance for you. Sure. In that situation where someone accepts a higher interest rate versus PMI, does the higher interest rate adjust downward 
when the 20% no. equity threshold is hit. So no, unlike that's your P no rate. But okay, but 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 PMI doesn't automatically go away either, right? You have to petition the mortgage company or something, right? What's the process there? So there's there? a, there's a couple of different different ways to deal with it. Um, one is you can petition the the mortgage servicer to allow for an updated appraisal if okay. you think your house value is increased enough to get you out of it. Okay. Not a lot of servicers will do that. We've got a way that we can do it internally at Fairway. So again, I'm your contact for life as you go through this. One of the services I can offer you after the fact is you call me, we can handhold you through this process. Meaning? Meaning that we can make you eligible to have that PMI waived if your house if your is house increased in enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's not always the case, though, and there's a cost to it. You have to pay for the appraisal. Yeah. Um, in Which some, is what? 400, a few hundred bucks? 400, 500 yeah, yeah, bucks. Okay. But some people might not have that. They yeah, might yeah. just want to do a no cost out of pocket refi and bank a lower interest rate as well at the same time. Yeah. So it, you got to weigh the two. Yeah. Um, but when the, when the loan to value, use some, term, some lingo here, the loan to value on the original amortization table hits 78%. So it's a schedule. Yep. We were talking about it before. It's a list of dates and columns. Yep. And when that date occurs, based on the original amortization table, the bank has to for forgive. Oh, they automatically eliminate the PMI? PMI. Okay. But it's date contingent, not value contingent. Based on the original value when you purchased it. Original so value and original loan structure when you bought it. So in most situations, in most years, real estate would appreciate in value. Sure, in which so, case, yeah. it's it's in your best interest, probably, to petition the mortgage. You'll likely be able to eliminate it before it, it hits that 78% automatic threshold because in most, most of the time, real estate values would appreciate. However, there might be declining real estate market. And you might not be able to And you out. might not be able to petition the mortgage company to eliminate PMI, but when the amortization table hits that 78%, it's going away anyway, going even away if anyway. your home is depreciated. And what right. what they're looking at there is you've made a certain number of payments, you, you're you're deep into the loan oh, at fair that enough. point, yeah. and you've, yeah. you've shown a propensity to repay. Okay. Um, and that's some of the things that the bank does consider if you're asking for PMI to be waived, you better be making those payments on time because if yeah. you've shown any additional risk, they're probably not going to allow you to get out of it. Okay, that's actually, I was going to ask that question. What, what, what's the process? What, what are the consequences if someone pays their mortgage a week late, three months in a row? What? what a, week, a, week, what the... a week late, zero. Okay. So, um, what's the grace period? Grace period is 15 days. So okay. you've got to pay your mortgage by the 15th of the month. And if, and if you're three weeks late? If you're three weeks late, you're likely to be hit with a late fee. Okay. Once you go 30 days late, then it shows up in your credit report. Okay. And you already have incurred some sort of fees and penalties on it. Okay. Um, you don't want to wind up in that situation on your primary residence. If you've got a tricky situation and you're trying to balance it out, you know, first call one of us and have a conversation yeah. about budgeting real quick. Yeah. But you know, your your home is one of those things that it, you don't want to be laid on that payment. Um, all all other things can collapse around you, but yeah. you know. Make 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 your house payment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. But mid, so, so go back so, to the down so payment. Twenty percent down, pretty standard, no PMI. Yeah, and then in the market right now, you've got mass housing, like we talked about. There's pretty stringent requirements around their program. They they actually have a hundred percent financing program. It's comprised of two two different loans, a ninety seven percent loan and a three percent loan that yeah. mass housing gives you. Yeah. And then Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, three percent is the minimum for a first time home buyer. In FHA, you can put a minimum of three and a half percent down. So, 
it's it's really the the hurdle is relatively low. If you think about three percent, three and a half percent for a home on the South Shore, we were using yeah. four four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars yeah. as average first time home in these parts. You know, Plymouth to call it Norwell. Um, in, into like Pembroke and Hanover, yeah, in, in Cranberry Country too. If, if you think about three hundred, four hundred, five hundred thousand, twelve thousand dollars is your down payment. Your cash to close is going to be roughly seven, eight grand on that. You you can be into your first home for less than twenty one thousand dollars. So okay. if if yeah. you're if and if you're looking at a scenario where your rent is possibly eighteen hundred bucks a month. You know, nineteen hundred bucks a month if you're living in the city and you're living in Southie and you're. Oh yeah, the numbers will work out in your favor. Yeah. Right. Let's talk about someone who's upsizing, right? Let's say someone is in a five hundred thousand dollar home. You want to buy a new house, Wilson? No, I love my home. I, Kirk and I are not moving until our kids are out of college, probably. I love my house. <laughs> and then you're going to Florida. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, Let's talk about someone though who's upsizing. Let's say someone has a five, six hundred thousand dollar house. Yep. They've got let's say three hundred thousand dollars of equity in it, mm -hmm. and they're moving to like an eight, nine hundred thousand dollar Colonial and Arrowhead. Yep. Um, we were talking about jumbo loans earlier and how they're actually better interest rates. Yep. So if someone's buying a nine hundred thousand dollar home and they have three hundred thousand dollars from sale of their previous residence. Does it but does it benefit them to put the three hundred down and not get a jumbo loan, or to put less down and have a jumbo at a lower interest rate? So I'll I'll spin it right back around, and you never ask a quick answer a question with another question. But as a financial advisor, if you have that much cash floating around and into different investments, do you want your client diversified, or do you want them tying up three hundred thousand dollars, or maybe they've got a million dollar portfolio of investments? possibly a third of their portfolio in a single asset. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I'm, I want them to work towards debt elimination. Cool. Unless, it, they're, unless they're, oh, this is our home for five or 10 years and then we're downsizing, which actually in that situation might be the case because be. they're be. maybe getting into a larger home, they have three, four kids, and then they'll, they'll be downsizing when the kids are out of college. But, so the direct answer to you- From a mortgage perspective, what's the diff, I don't know if you talked earlier about the difference between a jumbo rate and a regular rate now, like is it, it's pretty substantial. It's so it's a, qu a quarter of three eighths in, in like today. If I went and priced something out at this moment for a, a very well qualified client, it's probably three eighths of a point on a million dollars. That that's probably going to run you about you know a hundred bucks, one hundred and fifty bucks a month yeah, okay. in terms of difference. Yeah. Um, it's again, if you're talking about those size numbers, is it meaningful to you? The real question gets down to what are you comfortable paying for your housing? It, yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, so when I talk to clients in those positions, most of the time they're going to meet that 20% and then they're going to take everything in ex excess and they are taking that and they're going back to their financial advisor and they're putting it in more high performing asset classes. Yeah. I so especially I, I with, do, I, with the primary, speaking, primary anyway. residence. Theoretically speaking, yeah. Um, I don't see a lot of people in the move up department putting down 30, 40, 50%. People that are approaching retirement are more likely to do that than the 40 something year old sure. yeah. with kids that are pre college. They're taking that savings and they're putting it in the 529 plan and saying, Junior, if you don't get that Harvard scholarship, you know. I've had this conversation 
with several mortgage professionals over the years. I don't actually know if you and I have, but wh where I'm going with is, I mean, I understand the math regarding take a higher mortgage, even if you could put, like in that example, even mm -hmm. if you could put the $300,000 down, I understand the math regarding put a lower amount down, interest rates are low, mm -hmm. take a higher mortgage, take the balance and invest it, you'll likely out earn the interest rate on the mortgage, right? So I understand. Past performance isn't an indicator of future results. I said likely, yes, that is true, Jeremy, I said likely. But what my feeling regarding that is, and I, and I understand that from a pure math perspective, investing the funds, mm -hmm. um, you again, you would likely out-earn interest rate on the mortgage given sure. that interest rates are now so low. So the math makes sense. And I always come back to the debt is an emotional weight and all that. But I'll also approach it from the perspective of, I think that that can give people almost like a false sense of wealth. Because if, you're, if those funds are tied up in your home, Mm -hmm. You don't see them. You're not tempted to spend them. You and you and you don't feel like you have those that monies. Let's say it's a hundred thousand dollars in this example. Sure. Like maybe they're going to put down two hundred instead of the full three hundred, and they're going to invest the hundred. If it was tied up in the home, again, you don't see it. You're not likely to spend it unless you go through the process of a cash out refi right. or an equity line. The people that take the larger mortgage and invest the dollars over there. Mm -hmm usually don't leave that and not touch it forever. So again, it comes down to goals. And for me, it's not a black and white conversation because yeah. what what is that extra 100,000 that you're investing? What What's your goal with that money? Are you saving it up to pay for college where you need to get a rate of return on that money and you've got a defined time horizon yeah. and you're, you're investing it, you're not pulling it out, you're not buying Amazon in trying to take right. a coin flip and see how much money you can make. But, oh, hey, I got to take a trip to Vegas next month to go, go yeah. and play cards. I'm going to yeah. pull it back out if I don't make my Amazon trade. You know, with all things financial, you have to come with a certain level of discipline to execute the actual strategy. Yeah. And you as a financial advisor, it, when I think about the role of my financial advisor in my life, is to hold my feet to the fire. Like, we came up with a plan and I can be mercurial, and some days I might wake up and I might say, oh, but China's gonna destroy our economy. Like, well, we came up with a game plan based on portfolio strategy that's played out over the long term, and regardless of how my gut might feel today, we usually see reversion to the mean. We usually yeah. see these portfolios perform over the long period of time, if we have the discipline to stick with it. Right. So. Right. With, with anything financial, you gotta have that discipline and you gotta talk about why are we taking that $100,000 and moving it out of the house and into a different investment bucket. My feeling would be in another bucket, at least I have access to it without a financing cost. So sure. even if I am using it, if it's tied up in my house, the only way I can get it back out is by putting a home equity line on it, by cash out refining, by selling the asset. If I keep it outside, even if I only cover the mortgage, 4.5% return, I could invest in bonds right now and get 4.5% return. Even if but, I, even if you, but even if you It gives keep me it access out, to it. Right, but you have a financing cost the whole time. If I, I can if offset, you keep I can it offset if I, if I- Theoretically speaking, with return. Yeah, what, what's, theoretically what, speaking, yeah. 
is it challenging yeah. in today's market to get a 5% return in, in investments, in conservative investments? Not really. Well, I don't know. Depends on the time frame. What's a muni bond pay right now? Any idea? I don't know. Three and a half. Three and a half percent? I yeah, I think long-term bonds are three, three and a half. So if you weren't putting in an investment portfolio and you're getting tax benefits on a muni bond, your actual rate of return on a muni bond investment is probably four and a half, five percent. Okay. Yes, no. Agree, disagree? You're, you I don't know. I, I couldn't put you a muni bond return right now. Okay. Corporate corporate bond. Any idea? Tri AAA rated corporate bond. Uh, probably six and a half percent. I don't think it's that high. No, but I'm gonna have to look after that after we chat. So, yeah, pretty pretty sure corporate bonds probably five and a half to six percent depending on the credit rating. Okay. If you're if you're putting it into a bundled portfolio, an ETF of corporate bonds, yeah, you you can at least match your return on what your cost for that money is, but you have the liquidity to access it. Yeah. You have an oh my gosh emergency in your family. You don't have to come to me and say, hey, Jeremy, how can I put a HELOC in place? Oh, quickly? fair enough. If someone doesn't have an emergency reserves. Yeah. You hope enough. they have an yeah. emergency yeah. reserve, yeah. right? Yeah. But those are all buckets that we need to fill before we get to putting additional income into yeah. an asset that's really hard to unwind. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the way I think about houses. It costs you anywhere from two to $4,000 to do a cash out refi with me. If you need that money, it's going to take me 30 days at minimum to get it out. If you need a home equity line, my best home equity line provider will struggle to get you that money in 30 days. Yeah. If you try doing it through some of these bricks and mortars, I know people it will take 45 days to access them. Yeah, I mean, I'm, and this is where I've always disagreed with mortgage professionals. I'm, I mean, I, I, again, I understand the math of it, and if someone doesn't have an emergency account and all that, but I would, I'm very hesitant to recommend that people take dollars out of re, uh, pr real estate mm -hmm. purely for investing. So go back to the, the example because I'm really interested in your, your opinion on it. Sell your old house, you've got $300,000 of equity, you're rolling it up to an $800,000 house, you really only have to put 160 down but you want to take the entire 300. What are the first buckets they should have filled before you put the extra cash into the house? You said emergency fund. Emergency How fund. How many months? I guess three, three to six, depending on if they're self-employed or depending on job security. So three to Could six months of your six, your maybe. your yeah. living costs. Yeah. Do you do you have a midterm savings bucket that you want to see filled for larger capital purchases, uh, cars, uh, stuff that's consumable? Um, not stuff that's consumable. I would. Well, it depends on if they have renovation projects, but I would say college is the next one. And if they have kids, college savings, are they maxing their retirement plans? Are per, they per kid, how much do you have to have in college savings these days to, to even consider a four-year college? How old are they? What, so if you're that, in a move-up you home, we'll assume they're middle school age. Okay. You, you've moved out of your, your first home. Your kids are about at that point. Yeah. Mine yep. are rapidly approaching it, and I know we're busting at the seams. Yeah, yeah. So if you've got a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old at home, you're probably eight years away. How much do you need need in college savings? Depends on your cash flow. Uh, just if you have thirty, forty thousand dollars of free cash, you don't need a whole lot. Okay. Although I guess if you have three kids and we have overlapping, so we're talking about a mil million then. dollar buyer, so they probably are making three hundred thousand dollar combined. You know, one hundred fifty thousand dollars each. You know, we're going to run out of time to finish yeah. this analysis, right? But, <laughs> but so, so my my point is, there's lots of buckets yeah, yeah. that I'd want to make sure are checked off. And when we talk about goals, you can you can call a rate quoter and just take out a mortgage. Yeah. 
But if you're not sitting back and having this conversation with some financial professional in your life, then you're doing yourself a disservice because what you read on the internet isn't necessarily going to be the gospel for you personally. Yeah. Right? Right. And you got to make sure that your plan is holistic and that you think about why you're making the decision you're making. Right. And challenge your thought process. Yeah. I don't necessarily think you're wrong. Listen. Yeah. We, 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 we don't, we're not fully levered on our house. Yeah, yeah. But we also have some of those Ooh. buckets already filled. Right. Jeremy, we were, I told you we we're going to run out of time to finish this. To, we'll finish it next time. Um, I've been chatting with Jeremy Devaney, Fairway Independent Mortgage. I don't know what that noise was. Uh, we were talking about all things mortgages this morning. Just give out your contact info one more time, Jeremy. Sure, DevaneyMortgage.com, D-E-V-A-N-E-Y Mortgage.com. Jeremy.Devaney at fairwaymc.com or 781-680-5626. It's like, sounds like there's something scurrying around in here. Scurrying so around or somebody, somebody's got the uh, uh, air duster out oh, on their keyboard. maybe that's what it was. Jonathan's bored <laughs> listening to us. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You've been listening to McNamara on Money. You can find me at McNamaraFinancial.com or McNamaraOnMoney.com. Jeremy, thank you so much for being here. I've had a blast. This we is will agree to disagree. Until next time, have a good weekend, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you.